Hi everyone, it's Frankie here. Before we get into the episode, I have a very exciting announcement to make. I'm participating in three events at the Farnham Literary Festival in March. If you don't know where Farnham is, that's okay, a lot of people don't. But it's a really beautiful village in Surrey that is also very cultured with its own literary festival. The first panel I'm involved with is on the 2nd of March and I'll be reuniting with my favourite spy writing pals to moderate Writing Spies in the Shadow of Bond. This is the panel that we did at the Harrogate Crime Writing Festival last year and it was so much fun we decided to get the band back together and do it again. So that will involve the brilliant Greg Moss, Jack Dewars, Ava Glass and Tim Glister. Then on the 10th of March, I'll be moderating a scarily good panel on why we can't get enough of gothic fiction with the incredible Anna Mazzola, William Hussey, Louise Davidson, Essie Fox and Michelle Paver. These are huge names in the gothic writing world and I'm so excited for this one. And as you might know, I also do another podcast called The Labours of Hercule, which is all about the greatest television show in the world, Agatha Christie's Poirot. My wonderful co-host, Adam Roach of the Secret History of Hollywood podcast and so many other wonderful ones, are going to be doing our very first ever in-person live event for our podcast. There we'll be discussing Poirot, podcasting, murder mysteries and so much more. If you'd like to come along to any of these events or you want to check out the full programme of events, have a Google of the Farnham Literary Festival or I'll stick the links for my events in the show notes of this episode. If you fancy coming along, it would be so lovely to see you there. Please come and say hello. And also, please, please smile at me from the crowd, because I will be very nervous. That's enough of me for now. Let's get on with the episode. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everybody and welcome to a new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie and today I'm delighted to be joined on the stage with Chris McDonald. Hi Frankie, how are you Hi, doing? Hi Chris, I'm doing all right thank you, how are you? Wonderful, yeah very good, good to be on the stage with you. Oh, um, thank I, you. Hope, I hope we give a reviewer a performance this evening. <laughs> Well, I'm going to have to rely on you for the performance thing uh, as a, an experienced actor such as yourself. Yes, yes. I'm yes. A, I've, got, I've got a bit of a cold at the moment, so I might not be projecting in, oh. in my kind of normal classically trained way, but I'll do my best. Okay, well, cheap seats at the back will try and adjust the audio <laughs> accordingly so that you can all still hear Chris. I've got a little bit of a bio to read out about you, pulled from various internet sources. Okay. Hopefully it's all accurate, but you can tell me if it's horribly wrong. That's good. Yeah, I hope it is. I hope it is oh, Me too. Yeah, it'd be fun <laughs> to add some drama to the proceedings. Okay. <clears throat> Chris McDonald is a novelist, screenwriter, playwright and actor who attended a top dram- UK drama school whose alumni include Tom Hardy and Michael Fassbender. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. Remind me. His debut play, Eye of a Needle, played at the Southwark Playhouse. And as an actor, he's worked for the BBC, the RSC and Amazon Studios, among others. His screenwriting includes Social Horror, This Merry Land for Argyle. And his band, Playground Champions, have soundtracked the ITV show Buffering. He also Mm. published two previous novels under C.C. MacDonald. His latest novel, The Actor, is out now in hardback. To achieve greatness, he must sacrifice everything. 
At long last, Adam Seeley has an Oscar within reach. Working with his controversial former mentor, Jonathan, he's given the performance of a lifetime and he almost believes it might be worth the cost because Adam subscribes to The Method. It's the secret that the world's greatest actors swear by, digging into their darkest, most personal traumas to bring a role to life. And Adam's greatest trauma is worse than most, losing his mother when he was just a boy, a fourth choice between the success he craved and the girl he loved. And that night back in drama school, the night of Adam's darkest secret, when everyone knows about the dead body, but nobody suspects the truth. And then he gets a message. Someone knows. And if they tell, everything Adam's worked for will come crashing down. Dun dun dun. Outside of writing, Chris lives in Margate with his wife and children. As well as being very talented at many things, including playing lots of musical instruments, Chris is also very charming and fun to follow on social media, even though he hates it. Mm. How do do you know I hate social media? That's good. I read an article. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Uh, Yes, I do. I do. But, you know, I'm I'm doing my best to kind of try and embrace it because everyone else seems to like it, you know. I think well, I, I follow you and I very much enjoy your posts when you do oh, them. Oh, thank you. Thank you very Welcome. much. Thank you very much. I need to do more. I need to always forget. But um, yeah. yes, very good. That was a lovely intro. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for coming on to the show. You've clearly been a very busy boy for quite yes. a while. Yeah, I am. I, I do keep myself busy. That's true. I like to... <laughs> I've got quite a restless mind and like to kind of flip from project to project. But I mainly write novels now. But yeah, I like writing for screen because it's more collaborative and you're working with people. But the nice, the, the terrible thing about screenwriting is uh, you just never get anything made. Well, I don't mm. anyway. Some, some people obviously <laughs> do because there are things on TV. But, I have um, seen things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've seen one mm. or two things. But I think the natural state for a TV or film script is not made. So whereas books, you know, if you can kind of make them work, you might be able to get them published. So, well, I, that's been my experience. Well, you have, yeah. I have, so. I have. Yeah, some people, I guess, don't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was going to say, even though TV is incredibly hard to get things made, getting a book published is still pretty challenging. It's, so. It is quite challenging, yeah. So it's, it's definitely an uphill struggle, but, you know, but it's fun. It's much better than working down a mine or a, up a <laughs> yep. chimney or other jobs I wouldn't want to do. Yep, those are the only options other than writing a book. So <laughs> natural is, choices. That's, that's what I was told at school. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So I mean when you were when you were at school, what was being an actor the goal originally for you? That's a good question. Um I think I kind of wanted to do I actually wanted to do everything that I've kind of ended up doing, which is lovely. But well I mean I, I think I saw uh, well, to, to, to different measures of success, <laughs> not as successfully as I'd like to have done all of them. But I think I saw, yeah, I always loved acting. And I think I saw acting, I always liked the kind of teamwork element of acting. And it's something I kind of wanted to get across in the book, actually, that that fact mm. that that thing of the, the thing that actually makes acting wonderful and the reason I still love it and the reason I love actors, even though a lot of the kind of actors in the book are not, you know, the nicest people, um, no. is because actually the whole world of it is kind of lovely. And there's a real kind of joy to acting and actors and being in a play and rehearsing a play, uh, which I really miss, actually, because I don't get to do it so much anymore. Yeah. But I, as you say, you touch on there, the characters in your book aren't the loveliest bunch mm. of actors. A lot of, no. lot of issues there. There's a lot of issues. I do feel like they're generally quite supportive of each other mm. uh, until they're kind of pitted against each other, which I think in, in a weird way is actually the problem with sort of acting particularly, but kind of any creative 
industry. As mm. soon as you kind of get into that place where you actually might be on course to something, you start to see other people as being in your way, which isn't actually necessarily the case. But no, I don't know. Some somehow that kind of gets in your head. I definitely used to feel like that about writing. I don't anymore. But there's still that slight lizard brain thing of, you know, if you see someone with a successful book, you're like, why is that book successful? You know? Yeah. So I think, I think a lot of that I wanted to get across in the book, actually, that sense that like, although they actually kind of love each other, as soon as they're, you know, what they love more is the idea of being an actor. So that kind of wins. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it, and it comes across well, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts now that you are a kind of entrenched in the crime writing community, which... Mm is, despite the fact that everyone writes about murders all day, very warm and friendly and welcoming very, also. Very warm and fuzzy, yeah. Everyone is just delightful, to be honest. I was I was quite unfortunate. My first two books came out. Uh, my first book came out, and then two months later, the pandemic happened. And so a lot of events I had kind of got cancelled. And so oh. I sort of missed out on... I did meet lovely people before the book came out, and people I've kind of stayed in touch with. But yeah, they're just, they're lovely. They're really lovely. And so I feel slightly robbed of like meeting that community. So I'm hoping with this one, uh, now that hopefully we don't go back into a pandemic, but you know, who knows, fingers crossed. Yep. But yeah, no, they're great. They're great. They're so supportive. And I think, mm. I think the nice thing about crime writing, and actually I don't really know, I haven't really dabbled in kind of literary or fantasy circles, so I don't know particularly, <laughs> but it, there is a real sense of supportiveness and that everyone's kind of mm. writing a different kind of book and everyone's got their own perspective and it actually doesn't feel like people are really competing no i think that's definitely been i think what most writers being mature adults that they are uh, mm. recognize is that a if somebody loves one book they can love another in the exactly. same way that if you can love a tv show or a play or a film you can love many yeah of those exactly things. exactly right yeah yeah do you think you'll go to any of the crime writing festivals this year, like Harrogate or Capital yeah, Crime? Yeah, I think I think so. Um, I haven't. Uh, I might go. I'm going to Farnham. Oh, I'm going to be at Farnham. Very good. Well, I'll see you there. That's Great. very good. I'm, I'm there on Sunday. I don't know if you'll still be there, but if you will, then I I live very close by, but oh, I'm okay, doing cool. three events, so I'm oh, around. Lovely. So you're going to be there the whole time. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm doing Farnham, and I think I might be doing Bloody Scotland. Uh, Great. I don't know about Harrogate yet, but I might just go anyway. You should. I went before my first book came out and had a lovely, lovely time. Yeah. But I haven't been since, just again, pandemic and all that kind of crap. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I think I will go back. I think I will go back. You should. It's really fun. Yeah. I think, yeah, uh, I will try and make an effort too. And I might bring my whole family with me and make them sit in rooms and listen to people talk about books, maybe. I mean, they probably wouldn't like it. They're quite young. But uh, <laughs> we can give them some, you know, they can watch an iPad or something while we listen to people talking about grisly murders. Perfect. <laughs> They've got to, it's better they learn about them there than on the streets. It's true. I did actually with my daughter. I actually, when she was tiny, I watched all of The Walking Dead when she was wow. a baby. And I do sometimes think uh, it explains a lot. Um, I think maybe about. Mm. Well, she's she's got quite a sort of, yeah, she's got quite a dark sense of humor. So I wonder if seeing all those kind of zombie deaths at an early age. I mean, it's quite a good place to start, I think. If you're gonna... I think she's prepared for the apocalypse, at least. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, right? Or another know, pandemic. Good, it's, it's good parenting, if anything. I think so, yeah. yeah you should write a parenting book next. Yes, yeah. Show your child zombie films. Gore, actually, <laughs> just lots of gore. So let's talk a bit more about the actor. And mm. this is, I, I apologise for asking quite a generic question you probably answered about a thousand times at this point. But where did the idea come from and how much of it is autobiographical? So I kind of, I pushed a lot of the, 
a lot of it comes a lot of it comes from my time at drama school. Mm-hmm. I pushed a lot of the more extreme moments and a lot of the more extreme behaviors. So uh, you know some of the things that happen in the book. Well, I mean, obviously it didn't happen, but like, but there are things that did, you know, for example, people did kind of whip themselves with belts and things like that wow. in exercises and skin rabbits and things like that. So people did do some pretty weird stuff, but nothing quite as extreme as in the book. But I think the idea, so I went, I, I finished drama school in 2010. So I think when I started writing, that would have been about 10, just over 10 years ago. Uh, ago. And I think after the sort of whole Me Too movement, I think myself and my peers from that time kind of started to discuss how things were and sort of how we felt about it sort of 10 years on in a way that we hadn't really before. Mm. And I think really that was the seed for the book, to be honest. It was that sense of, you know, how, firstly, how complicit were we in the way that we were treated, which was not very well. You know, did we, did we kind of stick up for each other enough in those situations? And also just this, that sense of like how far would we have actually gone to sort of impress the teachers and please the teachers and you know as i say like people went pretty far yeah and and you never really got the sense that they knew why they were just like yeah just got to do this crazy shit because you know everyone'll <laughs> tell me i'm a good boy and it was a bit like that basically so yeah so it was that really and and a lot of the characters i mean none of the characters are directly based on people but there's elements of lots of my peers from that time and friends from that time within the four kind of central drama school characters. And again, the teachers take some inspiration from the teachers I had, but also some inspiration from the teachers who'd been there sort of 10, 15 years before, because the the, the thing the teachers always said to us is like, oh, you should have been here in the good old days when people were really tough. <laughs> so there was lots of that kind of, you know, the good old, bad old days stuff that went on. Yeah. And Jonathan, who's kind of, you know, the, the big bad in the book. Yeah, he's definitely, he's, he's a real kind of mishmash of lots and lots of different people. But, he, but I had a really strong sense of him from the start. He was the one that kind of didn't really change from the, the first draft I wrote to the end in terms of his energy and his kind of tone. Although actually, no, in the first draft, he was a bit more actually physically violent, whereas he ends up being more kind of psychologically uh, grim in yeah. the end, this version. And then the idea just came from your experiences. You wanted to write it down. And how have you found that process of kind of translating real things and disguising details enough about people that may exist yeah. in, in, in character? Was that a challenge for you? Well, I don't, yeah, weirdly, I think, I think what often happens is that, and I think most writers would probably say this, but I don't, you know, I can't speak for them all. But I do think there's an element that often you start off writing a character and you have a very firm reference for them in your head of a certain person. But by the time you've got to like the sixth, seventh, eighth draft, they just can't be anything like that person because it probably wouldn't work with the story for them to be like that person. So actually, it's not something I kind of worry about too much because I I know that they're not going to end up being like the person I've sort of slightly based them on. Right. But I mean, so far, I've had a few friends who I went to drama school who've read it. And so far, I have not had anyone. Everyone's kind of said it was weirdly evocative and a bit strange to read, but no one's kind of said like, you made me look like a dickhead um, sort of thing. <laughs> so, so far, but you know, it's only been out a couple of weeks, so we'll see. There's plenty of time. 
Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's something to look forward to anyway. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. People getting angry with me. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, that means, you know, if people are talking about it, I guess. The, that's that true. Exactly. Adage. No such thing as bad publicity or something. I mean, I think there probably is. but I uh, think, yeah. <laughs> it's best not to test the theory too much. No, probably. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm, you kind of touched on it earlier, but I'm curious that as an actor, which is quite arguably an extroverted mm. kind of life, versus a writer's life which is quite insular and introverted yeah how do you navigate that with your personality do you which which one are you more comfortable with or is it a bit of both it's interesting i find it quite um i find it quite hard i remember doing a playwriting group must have been quite a long time ago after my first play came out and we had this psychologist come and talk to us and she she was talking about different personality types and she kind of said you know who here sees themselves an introvert and 14 hands went up and then it was like who's he's an extrovert and then just my hand went up um, <laughs> and so I do think I do think I've always thought of myself as an extrovert but I'm also I, I am quite happy sitting on my own working I mean yeah I do I mean I think but again I think all writers want a bit of feedback they want a bit of you know mm. if you get an email yeah. from your, your PR or something you're like wow I got an email today that was exciting you know like that's <laughs> sort of that's like that's that's like the height of excitement for most authors, I think, just like an email a day, um, unless obviously you're kind of, you know, JK Rowling, in which case you probably have to have all sorts of things you have to deal with. But, on the email, uh, yeah. Yeah, more than just an email, I imagine. But I think, yeah, so I think I do, I think I do, I would love, I would love the idea of being able to go and do a play in the evening, you know, right during the day and do a play in the evening, but it just doesn't, you know, doesn't quite work with family life. But there is... There is something really magical about, and actually I am someone who, you know, my wife always notices as soon as I'm with a crowd, I kind of turn into a different person and sort of, you know, hopefully not becoming that cringy person who's like, Hey, look at me. But just, you know, there's something about a big crowd of people that I respond to, which is probably something that drew me to acting in the first place. Mm. But yeah, but I've, but I think I've had to, I think also if you're an actor, you're waiting, you're waiting. The reason I started writing is because you're always waiting around for other people to give you the work. Whereas when you're writing, you can kind of make your own work. So yeah. I kind of did it out of necessity. But yeah, I do. I, I would like it if there were. I have actually, I work at an office and there is another couple of writers who work there and we do a lot of gossiping and moaning. And that's, <laughs> that I think that's an important part of the day. Yeah, a lot of moaning, a lot of gossiping, you know, just like most offices, basically. Uh, yeah. Yeah, moaning and gossip is the backbone of this <laughs> of this country. So it's very important. Country, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> and you touched upon your writing process there a little bit, saying obviously you work in an office and you like to work yeah. alone. But how do you find the writing process? What do you love about it, and what do you mm. hate about it? Okay, so interestingly, I'm very much in a phase of of hatred at the moment because I'm Ooh. doing my le- least favorite part. I'm writing the next book. Oh, I'm writing a first draft basically, and I find. I find writing probably the first half of a first draft really painful. Mm. And then I find writing the second half of the first draft and then uh, making it better, the kind of the best bit. So actually, I don't hate drafting. I just hate the first bit because I think it's because of the constant feeling of like, that's not good enough. You know, you write a paragraph or a sentence and you're like, well, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> that's terrible. That's never going to be in a book. Why have I spent an hour writing that? What a waste <laughs> of time. So I think it's constantly having to overcome that. But, you know, I do, having written a few now, I do know that you have to get through that, but it still doesn't seem to get any easier. But yeah, I absolutely love, you know, I always, by, by the time I get to the last kind of third of a book, 
I'm often writing kind of five, 6,000 words a day. Like I can get there really, really quickly. But as I say, the first half takes me a long, long time because I think I'm kind of working out what the story is basically. So you don't plan ahead and advance the story? Well, that's the annoying thing. I do really extensive <laughs> planning, but I think it's just terrible because every time I do it, I do these amazing, but amazing, like, but very extensive plans. And like, I do like a scene by scene. I work a bit like a screenwriter, actually. I do kind of, I work out what's in every scene. I do outlines, but somehow whenever I sit down to write it, I'm instantly like, oh, that's terrible. Absolutely terrible. It doesn't work <laughs> at all. So maybe I'll try not bothering with planning, but you know. Whatever works for you. I don't, that's the thing. I did nothing. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, that, that doesn't fine. work. <laughs> no, that doesn't work. No, but it's, um, yeah, the, f- the first couple of months are always quite hard. And then once you get into a flow, that's pretty lovely, actually. Yeah. It is literally like uphill struggle. So you're up the hill and then afterwards really it's wee. Yeah. yeah. And once you, exactly, once you get past your kind of midpoint in the novel, somehow, if the first half is working, yeah, I find that writing the rest of it is just uh, pretty straightforward. That's really interesting because a lot of the authors I've had on have said that they hit a wall at like the 30,000 word mark. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely at the 30,000 word. Yeah. 30 to 50, I think is the hardest, mm. is by far the hardest bit for me. Yeah. 30 to 50. My books are normally about 95. So a midpoint's around 50. And yeah, yeah. 30, that That is always really hard because you're kind of sometimes you're like, oh yeah, this is going well. This is going great. <laughs> and then you get to kind of at one break and you're like, oh no. Mm. yeah but that's meant to be the fun bit and I think particularly in crime or kind of thriller that that bit's quite hard to do because it can't all be doom and gloom and conflict yeah but at the same time what do you how do you keep the tension how do you keep the pace up without it just awareness of beats exactly the the beats with action and like yeah so like that bit again in theory that bit should be the most fun to write but somehow it never is tricky but you clearly have persevered and you've written a marvellous book. Thank you very much. Paid off. Thank you. Yes. And speaking of writing, a newer question hmm. that I've added to my little list here. Which okay, lovely. Pe- I'm really interested to hear your answer to it because people have fa- taken this question different ways. What's okay. a line you've written lately or from across your catalogue that you're especially proud of? Well, that's um, that's tricky. There's a There's a few. That's nice. There's a few that I could have done, but I think that my favourite one is um, it's very near the start of the actor and uh, Adam, who's the protagonist, mm-hmm. is giving his very first audition to Jonathan, who's kind of the antagonist, and he does a bit of Hamlet. And then Jonathan says... Bit um, on the nose. Yes, exactly. <laughs> bit on the nose, isn't it? So that's my favourite line when that's Jonathan good. says, Hamlet bit on the nose isn't it uh, because yeah. Adam's mum's dead that's you know that's the context um and I think I, I think the reason I like that is because it sort of it really encapsulated all of Jonathan's sort of mercurial nature which is almost one of the most difficult things about him because sometimes he's actually I mean he's never warm but sometimes he's kind of encouraging and sometimes he's uh diabolical and it kind of that that to me sort of instantly that sense of um that sense of just throwing Adam off center. So yeah, I like that line a lot. Yeah, it's really good. I remember, I remembered it. So obviously it's a good line. That's great. Yeah. And we've all known that kind of person, I think in our lives where when they shine their light on you, it's like, ah, it's addictive. And then they turn it away and it's horrible. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I mean, he's a kind of, he really is a, he really is a piece of work, but yeah, but he's also yeah. I kind of love him because I sort of there's part of me that admires his um 
his very strict ideology. I kind of, there's some, there's a line he actually has later about it's kind of, he quotes Nietzsche and he talks mm. about how, you know, essentially the reason he, he thinks kind of dedicating yourself to something, whether it be acting or whatever, is the only way to raise yourself to a higher place in this world mm. without God. And that's kind of, there, there's something that I actually kind of agree with there, but that's getting, you know, quite deep in the weeds of the book. But, um, but yeah, so actually there is, yeah, I kind of love him for that. But it's also fun character horrible. to write. Yeah, great fun to write. And actually, I kind of, I, my hope is that, you know, it, it sort of has some kind of screen life. And I feel like if anything, his is the character that would really draw an actor in. So, mm. you know, him probably more so than anyone would be the one that maybe an actor of a certain age would read and go like, okay, I want to play this guy. So yeah, fingers crossed yeah. something happens that side. Fingers crossed. I've seen on your Twitter, you've already kind of started asking people who, who they would cast in yes. some of the lead roles yes. and having yeah, a bit yeah, of a think yeah. about that. Do you have any people in mind? Dream dream budget, you know, all the money I think in the world. It's a, it's a really hard one but because of the film, because the film, because the book's in two timelines. Um, mm-hmm. The, the question I think younger. Is, exactly do you cast yeah. one person and age them up and down or do you cast two I'd probably cast one and actually so then you kind of need someone that can either play 40 or 20 for most of the characters which is not that many people that could do it so originally I kind of thought of someone like for Adam someone like Robert Pattinson but I actually mm. think he's kind of too tall and handsome so mm. Do you know Joseph Quinn from Stranger Things? Yes, yeah, he's kind he's great. Of, so I think someone like him would be amazing, actually. Because mm. also, I don't, I don't think you necessarily want someone who's like a huge movie star that you know really well. I think mm. there's something about Adam you kind of, I think it'd be better if Adam is, a, is someone you maybe don't know as an actor as well. But also yeah. Joseph, Joseph Quinn is just a really, really good actor. And Incredible. I think that's what you need. And he's also, he's good looking, but not, overly exactly and it's quite little as well and i think it's important for someone because i think someone was like someone on twitter was like um oh yeah i thought jamie dornan could be for adam and i was like wow how hot would patrick have to be (laughs) patrick is like patrick is like that you'd have to get austin butler or there's no one else you know like there's no one who's that much hotter than jamie dornan so i'm inclined to agree with you yeah yeah, i mean jamie dornan can play patrick he'd be quite good actually he would be good and he can do older younger Probably. He could, yeah. He's probably a bit old for it, actually. He <gasps> must be. He, no, but he must be what forty, probably. Yeah, probably. So he might be a bit old to play the younger ones. Anyway, I'm sorry, Jamie, if you're listening. I'm which sorry, Jamie. I'm sure I know he, he definitely is. is. He definitely <laughs> yeah. is. He's on. Yep. He's on now. Actually, he's texting mm. me. <laughs> yeah, and then actually, for some for someone like Jonathan, loads of people could do it. But like, I sort of feel like someone like Jason Isaacs or kind of Ooh. Christopher Eccleston or sort of one of those sort of you know British baddies, basically. Like, those, yeah. Or the lovely thing to do would be to cast actually someone really sweet and lovely who you kind of know. Yeah, bad. you know how kind of like Brian David Cranston Tennant in Breaking Bad. Or, yeah. David Tennant could be quite good, actually. I hadn't thought of him. He'd be quite good. He's done bad a bit with uh, Jessica Jones. I don't know if you yes, saw that. Yes, I saw that. He was, he was good, but a bit kind of pantomime Bit camp with it, bit which camp. is great. I know that was the whole thing. The point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But no, it would, be, it would be great fun to cast. Oh, fingers crossed one day. Fingers crossed, yeah. Yeah, that would be a dream. And speaking of your characters, another yes. question I always like to yes. ask, and this is going to be interesting. If you had to be one of the characters yes. from your book, who would you be and why? Okay, so I would uh, So I would be Vanessa, actually. I would be Vanessa, who is Adam's agent. Yeah. And his kind of best friend, even though it's not quite sure whether he likes she likes him. <laughs> yeah, she. I, I love Vanessa because she really firmly 
kind of gets it and gets everyone. She has amazing sort of self-awareness, actually. Mm. And she sort of knows the industry she's in is bullshit. She knows that people are kind of bad. And she's sort of made her peace with it and found her space in the world. And she's a kind of incredibly successful woman who in some ways is a bit of a Nepo baby. But again, she sort of owns that as well. And yeah, and she just she also just got some great zinging sort of um, one-liners, which, you know, uh, I'd like to think, uh, you know, if I was going to live as someone, it'd be quite nice to be the person throwing in the zingers, you know? Yeah. And although long-suffering, I think compared to some of the others in the book, she probably has the nicer life she is yeah i agree she's got a really nice life out of it but also also i think she's what i also like about her she is actually really kind of loyal Mm. and she's she's actually probably the nicest person in adam's life even though she doesn't always seem like it and so i think deep down she has a kind of a sweetness and a warmth to her that she just because to survive as a woman in her industry she's kind of had to close down but, um, yeah. but yeah, I think she's great and she's very complex. And actually, mm. if I would ever, you know, if I were to ever, I have thought that if I was to ever sort of do anything in the world of the actor again, it would probably be a spinoff about her. Ooh. But I haven't, I'm not sure how that story would work, but I just, I would love to have her as the central character in something, possibly when she's a bit older after, after she's kind of left Adam behind. Yeah, and her her agent life, and maybe other clients. Yeah, her and... agent life, or like I like the idea. Maybe she becomes a producer, and mm. you know, and maybe maybe you know a bit like the film Tar. Maybe she has to deal with some like Me Too accusations or something. I don't know. Interesting. I'm, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really thought it through, but I think if if for whatever reason anyone was like, you should write a follow up, that would be the direction I'd take it in. They nice. probably won't. Spoiler alert, they probably won't. <laughs> Do I count? I'm asking yes, you. Great, hey, great. hey, Chris, you definitely please can. write a follow up yeah. to the actor. Thank you. You just said you're working on your second book, though, in, yes. under this name. What? Yes. How's that going? It's going okay. It's called The Icon. Um, and it's about, it's inspired by the relationship between David Bowie and his guitarist, Mick Ronson. Wow. And the guitarist is kind of the central character. And the narrator is actually his daughter, who, after her mother dies, she kind of inherits this box of tapes of that her father, the guitarist, recorded for a memoir. And she uh, and he he has confessed to the murder of the David Bowie like rock star. And so she sets about trying to kind of not clear his name, but kind of also clear his name. She kind of says. She spends the whole time saying she's not clearing his name. She just wants to write a book, but actually she definitely is trying to clear his name. Sure. And so, yeah, so I'm kind of pitching it as, I pitched it as sort of uh, Amadeus meets Daisy Jones and the Six, basically. Nice. And I'm very excited about it, but I, I and there's lots that I is working about it, but there's certain things I can't quite make work. But I think, you know, <laughs> that's just going to have to be uh, uh, at the coalface and just working on it and, you know, yeah. making it work eventually. But um yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Yeah, it's kind of, it's almost like true crimey, but like fictional true crime. You know, like, yeah. uh, have you read Penance by Eliza Clark? I haven't, but I know of it, yes. It's great. I mean, it's really, really... I love really, Boy really, Parts. Boy Parts is amazing as well. Yeah. Penance was really incredible, actually. It's such an, yeah, amazing book. Yeah, I like that idea of sort of playing on those. And actually, um, I'm listening to None of This Is True, the Lisa Jewell book as well. That kind mm. of does a similar kind of thing, although it's slightly different tonally yeah i quite like that sort of this is real life you know really making it seem like it's real life rather than this is me telling a story yeah have you read true crime story as well 
I haven't. No. Yeah. Who's that by? Joseph Knox, I believe. Yes. Yeah. 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 I think I have that somewhere, so I should read that. I think I. You'll know if you it. do. It's a chunky, chunky one. Yes. Yeah. It's mm. got a really cool cover. Very cool. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I did. So I'll go back and read that. Yeah. Mm, that's the same sort of well in terms of the theme of it feeling real it's it's very much like that yeah 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 very good 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 tip you're welcome and you've got some good ones there for me i was it kind of leads me very nicely into the next question i had about reading yes and do you have much time to read given everything that you do i probably don't read as much as i uh would like to to be honest Busy life, family. Yeah, I do. Work. I, I go through. I go through phases. I read a lot, mm. and then I don't read a lot. But um, yeah, I've been. I've had an amazing run of books recently. Actually, I've really, and actually, that's put me in a bit of a reading slump because I keep starting things and being a bit like, well, this isn't good as these amazing books I've just read. So yeah. So yeah. So I read uh, Yellowface, which I thought was oh, really yeah. incredibly good. And I actually, you know, when people are like, oh, I read this in a day. I'd never done that in my life until I did it with Yellowface. Wow. So I, I always kind of thought people were lying, like, to be honest. <laughs> you know, I thought people were exaggerating because I I never even got close to doing that. But with this, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to work today. I'm just going to read this book. And I did. And it was mm. very good. And then another book I read recently was Trust by Hernan Diaz, mm. um, which I think won the Pulitzer, which is very, very cool. And... And a book I reread, which is slightly to do with what I'm writing at the moment, is um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the um, true crime. Michelle McNamara. Michelle McNamara, yes. So I reread yeah. that. I read it years ago and reread the whole thing. And it really is just brilliant. It is really beautiful. And it made me go and watch the film Zodiac as well, because, again, <sighs> it's that same kind of don't yeah. know, just really, really good. That that kind of time period, I guess, if it's if it's Bowie-esque, then it... Yes, exactly. That's that was one of the reasons I watched Zodiac actually, for that yeah. exact kind of those that feel, the more just mm. smoking smoking all the time, basically. <laughs> but yes, so yeah, I've had a really good reading run, but I've actually been reading mostly nonfiction recently to kind of try and get into that non-fiction-y. Oh, and the other book I've read recently is Monsters by Claire Dadera, which is non-fiction. Oh. And it's all about our relationship with kind of monstrous geniuses. Oh, and it's really, good. really amazing. Yeah, properly, yeah. properly good. Well, that sounds really good. I have to pick that one up for yeah, sure. Yeah, you should. I, I will. Yeah, do it. <laughs> okay, I'm doing it now. Okay, sorry. Uh, and so, with your research for your new book, I guess mm. if it's a bit, a bit true, bit true life, bit not. Is there a lot of research involved from the musical side as well, and things like yeah, that? Yeah, weirdly, it's an idea I've had for a long, long time. And so I've kind of read all the biographies, um, mm. you know, of Bowie and Mick Ronson and John Cale and Velvet Underground. And I've watched all the documentaries. I kind of did all that. I have done all that. And I've recently read one on Jim Morrison, which has been really good because he's a pretty interesting dude. Did you know that Jim Morrison, like when he died, he was just in his room. His mm. body was just in his room for like five or six days. Wow. And they just put, uh, there was a dude that came around and like packed him in ice. Because they just wouldn't let him, they wouldn't, the French kind of, he was in Paris and it was the French, I don't know, like cor- equivalent to the coroner, just wouldn't let them take the body. So someone came in and just packed him in ice like he was sort of, I don't wow. know, meat. Um, <laughs> it's very strange. Like the whole Preserved. story. Yeah, it's very, 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 very strange. But yes, but all that stuff is great. And I can, you know, I'm stealing lots of little true things that happened. Uh, and another book actually I read, which is amazing, is a book called, what's it called? I've actually got it there. Black Dahlia Avenger. Have you, do you Ooh, know that? I know the Black Dahlia story, but I don't know so about Avenger. It's absolutely fascinating. It's it's written, so it basically proves who the Black Dahlia killer was, but wow. it's written by his son. 
who was oh, a, I've heard about this. Who was a detective? Yeah. Who kind of when his father died, and again, I'm kind of, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm borrowing elements of it for the icon, but not, I mean, it's not really. But when his father died, he found this picture of her. I think it was that. Mm-hmm. Way. He found this picture of her and was just like, oh shit, why has he got a picture of this woman? Like, yeah. So then How? started investigating it, and um, yeah, so that's quite cool. Again, it's it, it's cool. quite kind of trashy in the way it's written it's quite kind of sensationalist but yeah it's a pretty amazing story sometimes you need a bit of that kind of trashy fluffy kind of i think it's good i think also like it suits the the style really suits the murder as well the whole point about the black dahlia is it kind of was trashy it was really sensationalized and really kind of it's kind of awful that it was made such a big deal of and it was only Mm -hmm. basically just because she was like a beautiful young woman so therefore they were like great Let's splash yeah. this all over the press. Yeah, the fetishization of a female corpse kind of exactly. started with her. Exactly. So, she was the OG. Yeah. Um, yeah well, <laughs> I bet she's really proud of that. <laughs> yeah, she's up somewhere. Yeah. Very proud. <laughs> Wherever she is. So you're a big true crime fan then? Kind of recently. Not, okay. not actually, not really historically. Although actually I re-listened to Serial, the mm, first series oh, of Serial. It's so good, isn't it? Mm, and listening really to it again, I was like, I remembered every single detail, yeah. which is kind of extraordinary. And I don't think any sort of podcast, apart from yours, obviously, has sort of, of um, <laughs> has reached has reached that level of sort of just no. getting into your infecting your psyche as you listen to it. Oh no, I mean it, it started the game it started really. Yeah. The other OG, yeah. The other OG, yeah. Yeah, and obviously he's free now, Adnan. He's free. I know. I which know. is mad and which fascinating is a bit mad. yeah mm. I, I still think he might have done it but well this know. is i i am i am on uh some of the reddit oh, okay. about it yes. and people really get into it and take it wow. very seriously i can imagine yeah it's fascinating if you ever have a, an afternoon you're like i just want to bl- like blow my mind and waste some time <laughs> then it's perfect for that i highly recommend it oh chris it's been so lovely chatting to you but unfortunately i now have to confront you with um, a really big accusation, I'm afraid. Okay. I think you know what I'm talking about, Chris. So this is uh, a bit uncomfortable because uh, okay. you've committed a terrible crime, haven't you, Chris? Uh, possibly. So terrible, so yeah. heinous and shocking in nature yeah. that you have been sentenced to death. Oh, God. That's all I need. I know. What a bummer, right? Uh, that's a right pain. I know. <laughs> not, <laughs> not convenient, really. No. At all. Definitely not. No. My, my first question is, what did you do? What's your crime? What did I do? Uh, I'm going to go with um, flashing on Margot <gasps> Beach. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And it was so shocking that it was such a big, yeah, it was a very bad it. flash. It was one of the all time worst flashing like incidents. Like a whole school of kids? Yeah. Or a massive school of kids. <laughs> uh, several, schools, several schools. Several wow. uh, schools. Two convents and a monastery. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I deserved it. I really deserved to go down. <laughs> okay, yeah. that is an interesting... We haven't had that one before, you know. Well, that's good. Gotta say, yeah, weirdly, <laughs> I have to say... You put me on the spot, you know. Um... <laughs> Karen Slaughter didn't do that one when she came on, weirdly. Did she not? Uh, no. Come on, Karen. I know, she's just too much of a prude, I guess. What can you say? But, okay, wow. So you've, you've flashed your way onto death row. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably the how first I, time that's ever happened. It's I, it's how I'd want to go, though, you know. <laughs> um, he died as he lived, uh, yeah. With his knob out. <laughs> With his knob out, yeah, exactly. Perfect. <laughs> yes, perfect, yeah. 
Great. Okay. Wow. Well, that's a bit of a, a, a downer <laughs> that you've yeah. been sentenced to death. Sorry you got it's caught. Difficult. Sorry. It's difficult. I know. I was always going to get caught. I think I wanted to really. It, <laughs> it, was, a, it was it was a cry for help. They do say that that serial killers reach that point, and it must be the same with flashes. Then, where you you, so. you know you dance, you, just want you to flash get with the devil. I know, and... I know. You just want to get caught. You just want it to all end. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. You play with fire. You're going to get burnt in unfortunate places as a flash. You are going to get. And yeah, you're definitely going to get burnt. Mm, singed in yeah uncomfortable places unless you sun cream up yes but <laughs> hey look it's not yes. all bad news no the good news is i can get you the death row meal of your dreams Ooh, fantastic so it was all worth it in the end that sounds good yeah that's why i did it actually um <laughs> yeah. what would your death row meal be uh very good question i have thought long and hard about this and Great. um throughout my life uh <laughs> And but I'm actually going to go for I'm going to go for like a Vietnamese sort of bun cha, like a sort of um, uh, noodles and lots of herbs and uh, some broth and a bit of maybe like pork barbecue pork on top. Nice. And then I'd like some Korean fried chicken on the side. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good choice. Sounds good. Definitely not something you could get outside of death row. So it's good for you. No, you definitely can't get it on Kingston Road. No. No, absolutely absolutely not. not. Um, Fantastic. And what drink? Any drinks with that? Uh, I think I'd like a, a pint of Guinness. Yeah. Interesting pairing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. You wouldn't normally put them together, (laughs) but you know, it's my final, it's, it's my final time on earth. I can do what I want. When in row. Or when in row. That's good. I like that. That's very good. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I like puns. Uh, right. Okay. And would you have a dessert? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I think I'd have something custody, and Ooh. that's not a joke, actually. Ah, uh, taken into it. Ah. Yes. Um, maybe like a custard, like a really nice, like custard slice. There's a, there's a place here that does like a custard tart that's really, yeah, it's very good, thick sort that of custody. Nice. Yeah, it's wonderful. And you know, as it's death row, maybe a little raspberry coulis as well. Come on. Oh. Come Go on. on. Do you why know what? Not? Why not? Taxpayer money. Let's get yeah, that exactly. coolie on there. Fantastic. On there. Yeah. Wow. Great, mate. Do you know what? That really makes me happy. And I like that you thought about it because often people come on here and take it very seriously and go, I wouldn't be able to eat anything. I'd be too nervous. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, just to get it down. Yeah. 100%. Absolutely. You want to go out with a bang, right? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed your meal because unfortunately, mm. you are now dead. Okay, that's difficult. Sorry. That's really difficult. It is difficult, but more good news. So okay, don't, it's good. Don't it's be too sad. Kind of good news, bad news kind of day. That's it. So the sandwich, isn't it, um, <laughs> that we do? The good news is I can bury you with the book of your choice. Okay, okay. So what book would you be buried with? It's a great question. It's a great question. I think because I'm going to be dead, mm-hmm. uh, so I won't actually be able to read it, it's sort of all about what, how cool I want people to think I am. <laughs> yep. So it's going to be between The Secret History mm-hmm. and uh, L'Etranger by Albert Camus. But like in, the French, in the French as well. So nice. people think I can speak French. Cultured. Because I can't, or like, or like some poems by like Pablo Neruda or something, just something really, so everyone's like this guy. This guy, but no, I think I'd probably go for the Secret History because it's that's a great book. It's actually a book I love as well, so it feels mm. authentic to be buried with it. Although I have to say, if they dug you up and saw Pablo Nuda, you'd be like, "Wow, what a romantic flasher he was!" That <laughs> yeah, was completely unprecedented, unexpected. <laughs> yeah. For that reason, maybe go for the Neruda. Yeah, you know this what? Guy... I'll put in both. 
So complex, this guy. So complex. Yeah, so many layers yeah. to him that he yeah. did not wear because he was flashing. I know, too much flashing. Yeah. Very good. Great. Wow. Well, I'm sorry that you had to die at the end there. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It is difficult, um, but don't do the crime if you can't I know. do if death you can't row. Do, if you can't do the death, don't <laughs> do the crime yeah. if you can't do the death. That famous yeah. saying, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, Chris, it's been so lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming on and having a little talk Not with me. Where can people follow you online, even though you don't like it? You're very good at it. They Where can, can follow, follow me follow um, on Twitter and Instagram. And on both of those, I am Chris MacD Writer. Nice. And apart from that, they can just buy my book and, you know, ideally buy multiple copies for friends, yes. family, um, yes. you know, uh, to give out at weddings, you know, whatever, yep. whatever people feel like they need to do with them. But yeah, no, that's how they can follow me. And apart from that, just wait for the next book and keep buying books and reading books and, you know. So books. Books basically is the answer. In conclusion, yeah, perfect. <laughs> that's great. Thank you very much. And thank you all for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode. And if you want to follow us on social media, we're Red and Buried pretty much everywhere. Or you can email me at redandburiedpodcast at gmail.com. Another thing, Chris, I never know how to end this bloody podcast. Okay. How should we end this? Uh, maybe just saying that was a really lovely chat. Thank you very much, Frankie. Oh, that, I can't add to that. That's perfect. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bye. How would you like to challenge your little grey cells while reveling in the vintage perfection of David Suchet's Poirot? If so, then the labours of a Hercule podcast was made for you. We're taking a deep dive into every episode of this masterpiece of television and giving you the clues you need to solve the case along with Poirot himself. We present the case and you solve it. Whether you're a detective in the making or if you just simply want to gush over the genius and art decodence of Agatha Christie, then subscribe now to The Labours of Hercule wherever you get your podcasts.